This is It's PR Darlings, a podcast all about the dark arts of public relations, publicity and all things media. Yeah, I think that's something that most people are surprised about. It's a digital site. People just assume that we have a a very young readership. Join us to explore the world of modern communications and how to build better relationships with media. The big mistake PRs make when they pitch to us is they they say, oh, I think this is going to be a great story for news.com.au because it's quirky. As a site, we've sort of moved past that. If you want an insider's look into today's newsrooms, then come along for the ride. We're speaking to all kinds of journalists, producers and industry experts. Sort of what's trending on Google and, and search and SEO. So I think they're the things that probably PRs probably need to be more uh, across. We want public relations professionals to work hand-in-hand with journalists in a way that builds trust, to deliver quality journalism and stories people love. I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. Sorry, that was me. (laughs) I know, I I was like, do I just go for it? Sorry. And I'm Jo Stone from Sticks and Stones PR, and together we are your PR darlings. Hi and welcome to It's PR Darlings, your industry podcast that gives you an insider's look into the workings of the media, brought to you by two former journalists on the dark side in PR. I'm Jo Stone. And I'm Greer Quinn. In each of our episodes, we like to talk about some of the weird words that you hear when dealing with media. And for some of you who haven't worked in newsrooms, these jargon terms might throw you. So we've had a look at a few words like naughty and backgrounding. Up, ed, and throw. What else did we do? IFBs and life crosses. Great. It's a great resource to find out more about these industry terms. So listen back to previous episodes from the first two seasons to catch up on our jargon gems. Today we're asking our guest, news.com.au's editor, Oliver Murray, to do some of the demystifying. And the word for the day is sell. What is a cell and how's it used? Can you as a PR suggest a cell or perhaps thinking of the cell might help you, well, sell a story? We were really delighted to be able to talk to Ollie about news.com.au. The online platform consistently makes it into the top one or two on the list for the most read news sources in the country, reaching millions and millions of people. Nielsen, the audience and data reporting company, recently commented that the extraordinary growth in digital news consumption that we saw in 2020 when the pandemic locked us in our homes has continued unabated in 2021 and on average 80% of Australian adults now get their news and information from digital sites and apps. It's actually crazy to think of that, isn't it? When you think like 15 or 20 years ago how dominant newspapers and the TV news was, we were always pulling up our chairs at 6 o'clock to watch the news or 7 o'clock if it was the ABC and now we just reach into our pocket and have the most up-to-date information in the country on our phone. It's crazy, isn't it? And so good from a media monitoring point of view too. Yeah, that's true. So good. Well, Ollie is now one of the people in charge of the news.com.au behemoth and is overseeing some major changes, including the introduction of a new premium service for users sick of seeing adverts and the introduction of a youth editor to capture some of the younger demographic. Ollie spent several years working in regional news and local Sydney papers before joining news.com.au and moving through the ranks doing his time in news editing roles before stepping into the top job. 
Welcome to It's PR Darlings, Ollie. We're looking forward to picking your brains about how public relations professionals can work with news.com.au. Hi, thanks for having me. When I did a bit of research into the platform, I came across the News Corp uh, summary, which was basically our journalists cut through the spin to tell stories that matter, just like being at the pub with mates. Is it actually that fun to work in the office? It sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it can be sometimes. Um, Obviously, I think COVID has sort of changed the dynamics in our newsroom a little bit with people working from home. Um, But we're, we're sort of slowly getting back to having people in the office and getting that buzz back. But I think what we're we're at our best when we're bouncing ideas off each other. And it's if it's a question that one of us is asking, then it's probably a question Australians want answered as well. And I think that's that's where we usually get our best stories, whether it's, you know, something on Cleo Smith or, or it's COVID or whatever, or there's a press conference. If someone in our team's like, what's that mean? Or hey, I, I don't understand this, then that's usually a good indication of what a story is for us. I think journalists by by nature, yeah, they're social creatures too, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's been a big adjustment for us from going in one newsroom, basically, where we have most of our people in Sydney, where we're sitting next to each other and bouncing ideas off each other. I don't think two years ago, I, I could have believed that a newsroom could operate entirely from home. I just... If someone had said you could do that, I just would have said no way in the world that can happen. But yeah. we we've we just did it overnight. We're in the office on a Friday. On Monday we were home for months and we, we did it. And I think it's it's yeah, it's it's showing that there is ways to to still keep your, your quality up, even though we're not all in the same room. That's amazing. It's a real um, baptism by fire into the world of tech. And speaking of tech in a different way, news.com.au uses data and Google analytics and trends to really track audiences. I know you guys are really good at this. You'd have some excellent insights into your readers. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about your audience? Who is your main reader in Australia if you were going to attempt to profile them? Yeah, it's sort of hard to profile who our, you know, average reader is because we're, we're a sort of a mass scale uh, website. We have about 12 million Australians read us every month, which is sort of, you know, one in wow. two Aussies. So it, it's hard to sort of say who it is, but I think what our re- the average reader for us is someone that wants to come to us, to our site and just get the news in a very easy to understand way. They want to sort of leave our website being informed about, you know, what's the big news of the day. But they also want a little bit of distraction. And I think that's what we sort of do a little bit better than other sites where it's not just going to a site and getting all the COVID news or or whatever, but it's also, you know, what's the big talking point from reality TV last night or, you know, what's happening in crypto, little the things like that where people sort of get the news, but they also go away, I, I would hope, entertained. Because there's a little bit of shopping in there too, isn't there? Yeah, so that's something our we, we've sort of expanded our e-commerce offering in the last year or so, and that's something that we'll, we'll keep sort of doing. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely more of that that we're doing in, in, what, in the future. I had a little look yes. at your media um, and it said that your average audience age is actually 46 which is young of course but it's a bit surprising Mm -hmm. because there's a 
digital site, solely digital site, that's quite old really for people to be coming to news.com.au. So why do you think that is, that you've got that older demographic at the moment? Yeah, I think that's something that most people are surprised about news.com.au and I think PRs are often surprised about that. I think because, as you said, it's a digital site, people just assume that we have a a very young readership. Um, But I guess, you know, news.com, we've been around since 1998. So I guess the people that are 46 are people that have sort of been reading us for that whole time, I guess. Um, so the challenge for us is how do we, we get the next generation of, of Australians onto our site and, and get them reading our, our news? Yeah, you've just um, actually led us into our next question. So are there certain things that you're working on at the moment to capture that millennial market or what's the next next generation after that, the Gen, Gen Z, I think they're already named? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so we, we've uh, got a, a youth editor who started with us this week um, and we've also got a youth strategy because we, we realise that, that that is the, the growing market. I think research shows there's about 6 million millennials or, or Gen Zs in Australia and, and we reach about half of those. So that means there's about 3 million there that we're not reaching. Um, I think the challenge for us is is how we reach them. And I think it's not going to be just by writing, you know, stories for young people. I think that's not the way to do it. I don't think, I think young people can see through that. I think it, it, it needs to be how, how do we reach them in off platform, whether that's through, you know, Instagram or TikTok or, or ways like that. Yeah, I was going to say TikTok. Yeah. TikTok's getting quite big for um, oh, journalism actually. I mean, that's that's where my kids are getting their news. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm, I've become a bit of a TikTok convert during the last lockdown because it's just such an easy platform to scroll through and waste a bit of time. Um, yeah. And and we we have a, you know, our TikTok, I think, is the biggest news site in Australia, our following. And oh. look, TikTok, TikTok's not really a platform where you're going to drive clicks. It's more just about brand awareness and and that sort of thing. And I think if we can sort of expand our awareness on somewhere like TikTok, then then hopefully that will bring people back to the to the site, and you know people will see that what we're offering. Because millennials really do consume news differently. Um, I certainly know we're we're in a co working space, and um, a lot of the people in our office don't even who are that generation don't even have televisions in their homes. They all consume their news through iPads, computers, iPhones. Yeah, and it's crazy. I mean, I think also young Australians are very across news and and social issues, more so than they probably were when I was younger. Um, I I don't think I really was across too many things when I was 17, 18 news-wise, but I think young people are are much more engaged now than uh, previous generations. And it's, I think yeah, in it's politics just... too. In politics, there, you know, politicians have become sort of entertainment for the, you know, the the younger generations as well. I'm quite interested in that. Yeah, definitely, and and it, it's amazing. Uh, I've got a, a niece who's 19, and it's she's so engaged in politics and and social issues more so than I ever would have been when I was that age, and I think that shows that there is you know, a big market there for news that young people want to consume. It's just about how how you present it and how you get it to them. And 
you know, I think as you said, it's, you know, it's places like Instagram, doing Instagram reads and, and things like that and, and doing uh, content that's engaging and really draws their attention so that when they're scrolling through social, that what we're doing stands out. And is that going to be video, do you think? Yeah, so video is, is obviously a big part of it. So we have a, a new YouTube channel, which is a, a news explains type channel where we sort of explain news topics. And then obviously we do a lot of uh, video explainers on TikTok and Instagram. Um, and also podcasts is, is a big part of our youth strategy. We have a daily podcast and we have um, other uh, dating podcasts and, and ones like that. But we're also going to be launching a longer form news podcast where it's about 20 minutes and it's one topic and we sort of, you know, dissect the, the news of the day in longer form. And, and how do you, I guess, keep adding value when there's so much news out there? How do you add value? How do you get yourself an edge? Is it just creating a bit of a community and having that connection? Yeah, I think we're very lucky in the sense that we have a very loyal readership that come back to our site every day. And, and our challenge is always how to get those new readers. We know people are going to come to our site every day because they want to be up to date. But how do you get that extra 1%, 2% every day? And I think it's it, it's about how we sort of try to look at how we set, um, do our news stories. And we're always trying to look at doing things differently to, to other sites. And, you know, I think during COVID and lockdown, there was good examples where, you know, we, we would watch these mammoth press conferences every day from Gladys and Dan Andrews. I know. It's a hard Huge. call, wasn't it? Mm. <laughs> and, and it was sort of like our, our day for a long time, but I thought what we did well was we would just f- pull out that one little nugget from the press conference, you know, like the, the, the question that Gladys didn't answer or the, you know, the, the sort of confrontation between Dan Andrews and the reporters or something like that, and then that's our hook into the story and then that gets people into the story and then we give them the rest of the, the vital information inside. And, and that is actually how news traditionally works with press conferences because, um, you know, the press conference isn't actually really the news. I mean, when Joe and I were on the circuit back in the day, um, you'd, you'd go to the press conference but you didn't give them the full airtime because that then becomes just straight PR for them. So actually breaking that down and pulling out the nuggets is what um, journalists are meant to do. So it sort of did change the dynamic quite a bit there, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. And and I think for people who aren't in media, they probably don't, before COVID, probably wouldn't have seen how press conferences run. No, and, no, it's been but, a huge insight, hasn't it? Yeah. And I think people have just been fascinated with that and seeing that the way journalists will ask questions and the way that a leader might sort of be quite abrupt in their answer or not answer, or it's sort of become, it, I think it's created this new group of Australians who are media junkies just because they were in lockdown and they had nothing to do and they were like hanging out for that press conference at 11am with Gladys and then waiting for the PM press conference and people have sort of really gotten into that. Yeah, they call them um, political hobbyists and, you know, they, they're feeling a lot of emotions when they're going through this. But uh, it, it's an interesting time because I did see a few sort of armchair journalists emerge and and then to actually explain, no, a press conference isn't, like the journalist isn't hiding things from you if they're not running the full press conference, you know. You have to, that's, yeah, that's you have not, to yeah, that's not take what, major things out of it, don't you? 
Yeah, so it did. It it chewed up a lot of, um, I guess, airtime as well. We, every day, you know, you get all your notifications about the live press conferences. Um, and I must admit, I did get a bit hooked on them as well. <laughs> you did, like the Gria. rest of us. <laughs> they, um, are, Ollie, they are a bit addictive. <laughs> Ollie, I just want to take you back to that point about video. So you're talking about the new YouTube channel. Um, would you take video that's been created by public relations professionals or is that something that you want to do yourselves? A lot of the time in our jobs, we actually are creating some of the content you see. Yeah, I think it, it sort of depends on what it was like, but I think we, we try to make sure that the video we're producing has that news.com.au tone to it. So I think it's something we'd always want to be producing ourselves, but I think if there's footage that PRs give us that we can use in there, then that, that's always an advantage. What What's the vibe when you get something from a PR and you go, this just is too PR for us to use? Is there something that you can put your finger on? Because we we obviously as ex ex um, journalists try to produce something as if it was in the newsroom. But like, is there something that you would say? You know, would you prefer it to be a little bit more on the street with an iPhone, or would you prefer the professional video? What What are your views on that? Um, I think yeah, maybe if it's too professional and. It, uh, I think sometimes you can tell if it's been done by a PR as well. I think that's the ones where you, you probably wouldn't want to run it too much if it's too obvious it was done, you know, externally. Um, can you talk us through the premium offering? I don't know much about this. Is is everything still, because at the moment, you know, everything's outside the paywall. Um, is that still outside the paywall? One, of, I mean, one of the great things in PR, we love to support journalists with subscri- subscriptions. But if um, one of our clients does make it into the news, sometimes it makes it really hard for that client to then, I guess, spread the good word and um, and share stories across their channels, which also, um, you know, build audiences and get eyeballs onto them. Yeah, so our, our premium offering is an ad light version, basically. So it's $5 a month and it means that you can look at our site and it doesn't doesn't have a lot of the ads that you would see there normally. There is a market out there of readers who want to see a website that is sort of stripped back from ads. Um, So it's the same content. It's not, you know, it's not a paywall as such. It's just an ad light version for people who, want to look at something without so many ads. So everything's still unlocked behind that. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, it's all unlocked. It's all the same content. It just means that you will sort of view it a little bit differently. Let's let's cut to the chase. You know, what stories are you actually looking for? Is there any criteria that you might choose to run a story on and how can we make it more sort of news.com for you? Uh, I would say the big mistake PRs make when they pitch to us is they they say, oh, I think this is going to be a great story for news.com.au because it's quirky. And I think maybe that's what we were maybe 10 or 15 years ago before I was working here. But I've, as a site, we've sort of moved past that. I, I, when I PRs pitch to me or to journalists, I think the important part is them understanding what stories work on our site, but also them really highlighting, hey, here's the hook. And I feel like sometimes you'll get a pitch from a PR and you'll read the, the, their pitch and the press release and 
the the hook will be in the second last line, and it'll be some you know incredible story of of the the case study or something like that. And if if a journalist isn't reading that whole press press release, they're going to miss the best bit. So I think that's it's always about just making sure you've got that enticing hook, you know, high up in your pitch. Nothing worse than burying the lead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's time-consuming, I, I think, for journalists yeah. too, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I, I know I, I sort of still get a lot of pictures and I just don't have time to, to read them all. So if it's not something that really grabs me that first second, I, I sort of struggle to, to read all the way through it. Yeah, I've changed um, the format a little bit with um, my media releases where I put my three dot points at the top. Um, just because that's the way that I'm seeing news produced more, like even on ABC, they'll have, you know, top highlights. And I feel like that really, you know, in the old days, if you put, if you put dot points into a news article or into a media release, it was considered poor form and lazy writing. I don't know if you were around during, during, um, that era, but because of digital, that um, I guess those highlights and things like and the the chunking of content with subheadings has become the norm. Yeah, I would agree. Like if I open up a, a press release and it's got those three bullet points at the top, then that means I can just get a quick overview of what that's about. I think that's a, a great thing to be doing. Yeah, and I do that in my emails where I'll actually give like an entire summary of the story, you know, case study available, you know, this is the topic, this is the why it's interesting to you guys and just do it like four or five points in capital letters so it's quick and easy to read at the top of the email so people know exactly what they're getting. And I think um, you guys are doing some really great collaborative work with those really large organisations and the Climate Change Time is Up series with Monash was a really good example of that where, you know, the stories are written using their exclusive data and insights. How do those kinds of opportunities come up? Do PRs pitch them to you or to your journalists or are they all paid kind of arrangements? Yeah, so the the partnership with Monash isn't paid at all. That was Monash, their climate change centre, was doing a bit of work with the um, community section in Victoria and then they came to us and said, we'd love to do something on a national stage. And they said, look, we've got all this data, all this analytics about, you know, forecasts for the future. And we thought that was just a great resource for us to be able to use. Um, Climate change as an issue can be difficult sometimes to get people into because I think readers really only sort of can focus on what's happening in the next couple of years. They, They sort of struggle to, you know, think about something happening 50 years in the future. So what we wanted to do with Time Is Now is have these this da- rich data and, and work with them to produce these maps so people can actually look up their LGA and they can say, oh, okay, it's going to get X amount hotter in my LGA if we don't act on climate change and really put the reader at the, the front of our um, content there. But it's true. yeah. It's the- yeah, the way their brains work, they need to know how does it impact me specifically to my LGA because people do whatever they can to protect themselves from um, dealing with near and present danger. Yeah, definitely. And and I think that's what we try to do with, I mean, any story we try to do, we try to put the reader at, at the centre of it and, and, and ask, well, why would someone care about this? How is it going to impact them? Um, and, and then that's sort of the basis of where you start from. So um, the, in terms of, 
a collaboration like that, just approaching a journalist and pitching a series of ideas and coming up with a whole campaign is the way to do it? Yeah, so we, we sort of are always looking at different campaigns we can do. Um, so it, it just usually starts with, you know, a, a conversation with a journalist or one of our editors and then we think, you know, is this something we should do um, a bigger series on? Uh, for example, we're, we're working now on a, a series looking at youth suicide and, and, and aiming to make that a really resource-heavy content series where there's, you know, resources there giving new information on, you know, what you should do if you're a parent and you're worried, what should you do if you're, if you're worried about one of your friends or your colleagues at work. And, and so there's lots of information there for people to get something out of it. And you work on a 24-7 cycle. Can you explain how that works? Have you got um, journalists doing night shifts or journalists on the other side of the world in their own time zones? How does it work? Yeah, so we have, um, we're, we're pretty top heavy. We're, we're that most of our staff start fairly early in the morning. We have people starting from 5.30 and then we will have someone logging on from London at about 6 p.m. our time. So that's their sort of day shift. And then each year we also uh, have a secondment where one of our reporters spends 12 months in New York. So they sort of will log on at about 10 p.m., 11 p.m. our time, and they will sort of work through the night. So when everybody's on, we're pretty much covered 24-7. Yeah, how many journalists have you got across across the whole organisation? We'd probably have about... 50 or 60 total in staff, um, and then I'd say probably about 30 or 40 journalists. And so we've got um, Samantha Maiden in Canberra, we've got uh, a Melbourne reporter, and then, you know, someone in London, someone in New York, and then the rest are, are mainly Sydney-based. Mm. Samantha so Maiden's the- um, been doing some incredible reporting in the last 12 months. Yeah, and it's it's been a privilege to work alongside her really and just seeing how she works she's one of the best journalists in Australia if not the best and it's been amazing to work alongside her and I think you know the best thing about what Samantha has been doing is I think unfairly news.com.au has had this perception of being you know I guess clickbaity or, or what have you and I think some of the the stories she's broken in the last 12 months has really changed that perception about what news.com.au is what do you say to that what do you say to Mm. that criticism about being clickbaity yeah I think it is unfair I think there are times when we get it wrong and we go too far with our headlines and we're always conscious of that and we're always checking headlines and saying I think that might be a bit far or I think that one might be a bit clickbaity and then we will tone it back Um, but I think the, the problem is you can write um, all of these amazing stories in one day but if you do one poorly and it gets picked up on that's what people will remember from that day so that's why we're, we're always trying to make sure that we're you know keeping every story to the to the highest standard so news.com.au is exclusively digital but you've been moving into newsletters recently which is part of the premium offering I believe can you tell us a little bit more about this is this a deliberate um, strategy yeah, so we're, we've sort of looked at our newsletter content. And so if you're a subscriber to our premium uh, service, you get a daily um, newsletter 
and it gets a, a message written by our editor-in-chief, Lisa Muxworthy, and it's just like a rundown of the day's news and what you missed and what you need to know about. But we also have uh, Samantha Maiden does a, a weekly political newsletter um, during the Olympics. Our sports editor who was in Tokyo was doing a, a newsletter each day. And then when the election's called, you know, Samantha Maiden will be sort of ramping up her newsletter and sort of dissecting the day's action you know, every every day for our readers, so they can sort of see what they've missed from the campaign trail. But it's just a it's a good way just to, you know, get new readers in and 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 sort of engage people who are you know um, you know avid readers. And another one we actually started, which is part of our youth strategy, is a, a cashed up um, email series where we have a financial advisor uh, who writes for us, Ben Nash. And it's a six-week course where you sign up for it and you get one email a week and it gives you financial information and little um, tests and tasks to do. And by the end of it, it sort of teaches you more about how to save, how to have a budget and how to look at your super and all those sorts of things. How fantastic. That's great. I love that idea. Yeah, so that's that's, that's the first one we've done. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's the first one we've done and it's been a really positive feedback to it so far. And basically it, it's just there forever now. So anytime someone signs up, they just get emails for six weeks. They can sign up now or six months or a year's time. And we were thinking next we might do something around fitness and, you know, six-week you know fitness course or training course or something like that and, yeah, go from there. Fantastic. So one of the things that we do with its PR darlings is we take a piece of weird terminology like, you know, noddy or something like that. And um, we basically demystify it so that PRs understand what the terminology that journos kind of throw around, you know, all day. Um, What is some of the digital terminology that you wished PR would understand in your space? I guess if I think there's more focus for us around search and SEO. So I think they're the things that probably PRs probably need to be more uh, across and, and looking at sort of what's trending on Google and, and things like that uh, because we obviously see that as a, the big area where we can grow our audience. One of the ones I was thinking was maybe sell. What's your sell on this? Because that's something I yeah. hear from you guys a bit. Yes, that's a word we say a lot. I think yarn as well is a word we say a million times a day. But yeah, sell sell is sort of like our our hook on a story. Like that's the headline you see on the homepage, and we call it our sell. So that's the sort of way to entice the the reader in. It's quite an art to that because we only have limited space. I think we have about seventy characters on our homepage to sort of sell a story, and the key with that is. You know, as you said earlier, it's it's about not going too far that it's clickbaity, but then also having a little bit of intrigue, a little bit of mystery in that cell. So people know what the story's about, but they want to click in to, to find out more. So you still kind of have to have a little bit of a cliffhanger vibe to it. You don't want a heading that tells the whole story or is it a yeah. little bit of both? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I, I think... Y- you want the per- you want the reader to know exactly what the story is about, so they know that it's a story about, you know, COVID or this celebrity or or this reality TV show, but you also want them to be able to go, hang on, I want to know the full story there and, and click in. 
On a, on a little industry note, actually, I know that some of your journalist stories are often copied and pasted by other outlets, maybe who should remain nameless. But um, that that happens often, um, and it's a problem for us in PR because sometimes our stories might get a little bit of a tweak that makes them incorrect or a photo that's used inappropriately or something. So it's a bit of a problem for us on the other side of the fence as well. What What is news.com.au doing to prevent that from happening, and, and um, what's your take on all of that? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to stop, really. And I think, you know, the nature of digital journalism means that there's always going to be that element that if there's breaking news, a breaking news story um, and, you know, Seven News is reporting this or Nine's reporting that, then it, it makes sense that other sites would would take that angle and say, you know, reported by Nine News. I think the when, when it goes into the problem areas is, as you said, where it's just a straight rip, and that's a, a word we use uh, in our in newsroom where something's ripped, where it's a story where, you know, one site has done all the work they've interviewed someone they've photographed them they've done all the research and then someone else just rips it completely and doesn't put any original work into it and I think as you said that's when there are problems because as you said they might be you know something might be taken out of context or and especially I guess with you guys if it's something that that you've coordinated a case study they might not be happy the way that a story is reported on another site. Yeah, I had one, um, I mean, my client was fine with it, but they did an absolutely massive deep dive into her personal Instagram account because that's, I guess that's not part of the intention of the, the you know, when PRs are, are reaching out to the journalists, we're not really expecting those things are going to happen. Yeah, and I think especially something like that, if it's someone who's given an interview to a, a site about a particular issue and then they find themselves on another site and, you know, their whole Instagram life is on there, that's, yes. yeah, that's, that, that's a bit that of a was shock. It. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's a way to stop that and I think it's sort of just it's almost the way journalism works. It always has sort of worked that way. I mean, if you listen to the radio bulletins at 7 a.m., most of their content is taken from the newspapers and six the 6 p.m nightly bulletins their stuff is taken from you know the day's news as well i think it's just that it's that gray area when it, it's just a complete rip where i think it's a problem yeah and i think as prs we sort of sit in the background and try to uh explain all this and coach them through it because sometimes um you know if something like that maybe has happened in the past and it's had a bit of a negative connotation. People go, "Oh, I'm going to ring them up and and tell them to do this." And I just say, "Look, it's there's there's times when maybe you might, but um, basically, yeah, there is that role where the journalist gets to publish what they. Well, that's important too, you, isn't it, to allow yeah, the journalist to do their job? I to think do too, their job. So, yeah, yeah. But some, it's terrible when it comes from at the expense of somebody else's work. And I think also it's important for a journalist if they're interviewing someone who's not media savvy, who's not used to dealing with journalists, that they need to sort of explain a lot of things to them and they need to sort of say, you know, this is on the record and I'm going to quote you on what you've said here and is it okay if I use this photo and all those little things. And I know that yeah. sometimes I think if you're a journalist and you're every day you're just talking to people who are media savvy, whether it's, you know, politicians or whoever, when you actually talk to someone who's not used to doing that, you need to make sure you're still 
you know, explaining all the steps to them, I guess. Ollie, thanks so much for joining us on its PR Darlings. I think everyone's going to be thinking of the best sell next time they pitch to news.com.au and the insights into audience will just be so valuable to us in the industry when it comes to pitching. So thanks so much. Thank no you so Thank much, you. Ollie. I love that it's called sell. I guess you can't oversell the sell <laughs> as well. <laughs> you, sell it. you can sell it. <laughs> You've been listening to It's PR Darlings podcast, an award-winning podcast that's exploring the world of modern communications and building better relationships with media. I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. And I'm Joe Stone from Sticks and Stones PR, and together we are your PR Darlings.